0: And so today we'll pick up in verse 10 and finish here Philippians chapter 4, the final chapter of this amazing letter. Would you join me in prayer as we ask God to bless us through his word? Father, we thank you for your goodness to us and we pray now that as we open uh, your word that you would make it alive to us. We pray that these uh, words on these pages that sit in our laps, Lord, would be more than ink and page but they would be the very words of life that we need to hear today pray that you bless us with your presence by your spirit and god that what happens in in these moments together would have eternal weight of glory in our lives bless your word we pray in jesus name amen verse 10, and as we, as we finish this up, remember that as we come to verse 13, verse 19, these are two of the most often quoted Bible verses that people stick to. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, I think the major sports in our country have kept a lot of tattoo artists uh, in business using Philippians 4.13, amen? It's like you look at it, it's on shoulders and necks and so don't go get tats after service. Uh, But it's that's one of the ones that a lot of people know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're going to get to the the other one that so many people gravitate towards, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and his glory in Christ Jesus. And so these two very famous, very popular uh, verses that frankly at times are quoted out of context it's important that you see the context to why the Apostle Paul, under the power of the Holy Spirit, writes these words as they are written in Scripture because it's very clear what the context is when you read the verses together, and we'll do that Today, verse 10, it says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. And so it becomes very clear that the Apostle Paul is talking about this gift that's come to him from the church at Philippi. They had been hindered from doing that, and it's important to see it in his context. We live in a day and time where, for those of you that have uh, Apple iPhones, you can pull them out. You probably have Apple Pay on there. And if you want to send somebody some money, you can you know, put in your code, and boom, done, Right? Or or if you, prior to that, you may have understood that you could go to the post office and get a money order and mail that to someone, or perhaps uh, you, you've been around long enough to remember we used to actually get those birthday cards with the little windows in them and you'd actually put money in them. Now you just, you know, you send them a gift card, all those kind of things. Well, so You see, you couldn't do that back then. There was no way for anyone to send resources to anyone apart from actually boxing up, packing up, putting in a bag, whatever it is that you want to send to somebody, and then you send somebody on a very long journey to go take care of that need. Now put it into perspective as to where the Apostle Paul is. He's in prison, right? And that was a death sentence, generally speaking, even though it wasn't a death sentence. Because if you got sent to prison, it was not like our prison system today, especially here in this country. You know, you go to you go to prison now, and as hard as it may be, and again I'm not saying it's good, but I am saying you're gonna get three square meals a day. You're also gonna have a bed, you're gonna have a bathroom, you're gonna have running water, you're gonna have all kinds of things that will, in essence, keep you alive. That was not true in Paul's day. If you were in prison, it was your responsibility through other people to make sure that you had. Anything that was necessary. If you needed medical care, there was no prison doctor. You either had somebody come minister to you or you died. And so the church in Philippi took it upon themselves, much like you have taken it upon yourselves as you're part of the body here. We have works all over the world that you are supporting those people who are in ministry so that they can stay in the pulpit so that the gospel can go forward. You, as you give, are part of that work. The church at Philippi very much did the same thing. It is in that context that the rest of these verses follow. Not that I speak in regard to need. In other words, the Apostle Paul was not trying to manipulate anyone. He wasn't you know, trying to twist it a little bit to make people feel sorry for him. He, he, he was content with wherever God placed him. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am, notice this, to be content. Don't we suffer in our modern world, in our Western world, in our U.S. world, from a lack of contentedness? Can I share with you, we're we're fairly ungrateful at times. Let me give you just one example. When you go home, no matter where you live, you can walk up to the tap in your kitchen or in your bathroom and you can turn on the water. Chances are you have two of them. You've got one that's hot and one that's cold. We'll leave the hot one alone. Let's just talk about the cold water. When you turn that on you put a glass underneath it, as gnarly as it may taste, if you're in Lomita, it has a little bite to it. <laughs> But you can take that water and put it in your mouth and you will not die. You won't get any disease. It will do exactly what water should do, which is rehydrate you. Did you know that that puts you above 75% of the entire world's population, that you can do that? Just the simple fact that you can go and open the tap and get water gives you a better position in life than 4 billion other people on this planet. Sometimes we kind of whine about some pretty insignificant things, don't we? Because there's a few things you need to survive. Guess where water ranks? It's number three. So of all the things that keep you alive... You can go without water for a shorter period of time than you can go without food. Did you know that? You you see, sometimes we place contentedness in some things that really are unnecessary. Paul said, in whatever state I'm in, I've learned to be content. Notice he said learned. That means learned by experience, by the way. You know, when you've been... Without, you learn how to view things very differently. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned to be both full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. And it's in that context that verse 13 is spoken. You see, it's not outside of that. It's in that context It's in the context of contentedness, no matter where God has you. Whether you have much, whether you have little, whether you're doing really well or horrible. It's, in other words, apart from your circumstance. Unfortunately, many here in our nation uh, belong to that incredible club called Winers for Christ. And we complain about everything. Lord, I don't want this. And Lord, I want that. And we just whine. And Paul's saying exactly the opposite. I've learned by experience that there's a lesson to be learned even in poverty. Can I say to you that I think prosperity has done far more damage to the church than poverty ever has? Because it's in that prosperity that we start to forget that God is responsible for every bit of it no matter where you are and so he links this verse 13 to contentedness apart from circumstance I learned some things living in the back of my lime green 1971 Pento I had a guy after second service came, I had one of those too and I said bro Brotherhood up here, you know? It's like, yeah, I I learned something cooking on that backpacking stove, you know, craft macaroni and cheese, you know? You learn something from not having. You start to appreciate every bed, no matter what it looks like. It's a whole lot better than the back seat, you know? There's things that you learn when you go through trial, when you struggle When you're going to college and you're you're like, I don't have any idea what I'm eating next. And you go down to the local Denny's and you get that bowl of chili. And then you ask for two bottles of ketchup so you can make it into a real meal. You know, You, you, (laughs) you college students, you know what I'm saying. You learn things in that place, in that crucible of want. And so Paul says, in that vein, in that vein. I can do all things. I can be abased and I can abound. I can have much. I can have little. doesn't matter. My contentedness is not attached to my circumstance. But nevertheless, verse 14 says, You have done well that you shared in my distress. God, we saw that Jess McKernan, the pastor in Galway, had a need. And we found out about the need. There was a distress in their life. They didn't know how they were going to meet it. The body couldn't afford it. And so we, hearing that need of our brothers and sisters in Ireland, said, look, we'll send a team and we'll help with that need. We'll send you a sound system. We can easily afford it. And so we send that. And the same is true, Pastor Tuvai taught his first time two services today because we heard the need you all provided for it. Amen? Amen? The same is true for Pastor Charlie at 42nd and Avalon. There's a need. Look at this community center. There's nothing happening here. We can take and put church inside of a truck. Do you know we have a church in the truck now? We have a church in the truck. Inside of that truck is a whole church. It's got a sound system and video system and computers and tables and easy-ups and children's ministry stuff, and it gets driven to 42nd and Avalon to a community center, and they pull everything out, they set up church, and now they're doing it not just on Sunday but on Wednesday. And people are coming to Jesus. Because we saw a need. We didn't ask anybody about it. We prayed over it and said, how do we meet that need? Look, Lord, you've been good. If you want us to do that, you provide the resources. Guess what? He provided all the resources. It's paid for. That's the picture here. You shared in that distress. Those people need Jesus. And we have the ability to send them someone who will tell them about Jesus. We have the ability to meet those needs. Pastor Randolph in Venice, Pastor Don up in Ventura, you're helping them stay in their pulpits so they can share Jesus. Their distress would be, I don't know how I'm going to take care of my family. So you all have come alongside of those pastors and said, we'll help you. As well as those other 20 churches that we picked up in the last year that you were supporting every single month so that their pastor can stay in the pulpit and minister to people. That's what the body of Christ does. And in fact, James actually put it this way. He said, how can you see your brother have need and harden your heart towards him, towards that need, and say that the love of God actually dwells in you? The answer is you can't. And so this church did that. They saw the need and responded to the need. And now you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, that no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but only you, brothers and sisters. Sometimes we're going to be the only church. There's a church that met Sunday morning in India in a building that you paid for. This church paid for it 100. Just got finished. On those people that met in that church building, the need was seen and you provided for it through your faithfulness. It's what the church is supposed to do. Look, sometimes no other church is going to do that. Sometimes maybe no other church is going to be able to do that. But we need to listen to what the Lord says regarding these things and step out in faith. Do what God tells us to do. The tithes, the offerings that come into this church don't belong to us. They belong to God. They are to go where he directs them. And so as a board, we simply pray over those things. We ask God, what would you like us to do? And then we do it. We're not waiting around to, you know, get some type of mysterious feeling in our stomachs about whether there's a need. No, there's a need, and we can meet it. Let's meet it. It's one of the glories of of being kingdom-oriented. For even Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift. You know, Paul wasn't, you know, banging on the door asking all the time. One of the great joys that we have, one of the great joys that we have, family of God, is just simply seeing God work. Take no credit for it. It isn't, it isn't anything. I'm sharing these things with you so that you know when you watch that video roll out there in the lobby, that you know what God's doing through you. That's important. You need to know. Paul wasn't seeking it. But I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. It's going to be absolutely crazy one day. You're going to step into the glories of heaven, having left this life, having run the race, finished well. You're going to step into the glories of heaven. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to meet people that came to Christ through your faithfulness to the Lord. That fruit is going to abound to your account. And you won't even know them. And they're going to say, you know that church? I was one of the people that got saved. Praise the Lord. That's called happening in eternal perspective. Amen? <laughs> Praise the Lord. And indeed I have all and abound and am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things that you sent, a sweet-smelling aroma. You see what he's really saying is, that acceptable sacrifice is well pleasing to God the people in Philippi listened they took care of Paul's needs and Paul through that was reminding them look that's how the whole system works that's how it happens that's how the body of Christ provides for the gospel to go forward and it's in that context verse 19 comes up and my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You see, when he saves people, when you come to Christ and the Holy Spirit's implanted in you, you're now a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old things have passed away and you start doing these crazy things that are you, you, you understand from the word by God's Spirit convincing and convicting. All of a sudden, God's now moving through all of you. He's working through your life to accomplish eternal purposes. And it's in that sense that we're part of God supplying those things. You become part of the wonderful work that the Lord's doing in this world. You see, too many people are are simply thermometers. They can tell whether it's hot, they can tell whether it's cold, they can tell whether there's a need or not, but they don't do anything about it. You see, if thermostat can actually do something about it, right? You go to your wall of your house. If you have a nice digital one, it has a little display. It tells you what the temperature is. and It's got a little up or a down button. And when you touch that, you're actually using the thermostat portion of that because you're actually changing the temperature. Paul was a thermostat. He said, look, here's the situation. I can do something about it. The church at Philippi was a thermostat. Here's the situation. We can do something about it. Let's change what's going on. And it's in that context that we find these amazing passages. Note the focus that he has here. It's on all things. I can accept all things and I can do all things. In other words, no matter what the Lord allows into my life, and here's the problem with us. There are many things that come come our way that if we had our choice, they would never happen in our lives. And yet, often, they are some of the most important things that ever happen in our lives. Give you an example from my own life. Connie and I were not supposed to be able to have children. We have two boys. The first one was born, we'd been married for 15 and a half years. And so you can imagine we were pretty excited about having a child after 15 and a half years. So my son Brandon was born, all of a sudden at two and a half years old, I find myself laying on the floor of a hospital room begging God to spare his life. That was not something I picked. That was not something I could even imagine, how God would allow that into our lives. How I would get to that place of like, God, for 15 and a half years, we do not have to, you give us a child and now you're going to take him away? I begged God, take me instead. But you know, interestingly enough, God taught me compassion. God taught me that other people are suffering constantly and sometimes I miss them. God taught me things laying on that hospital floor, begging him not to take my son that I would not have ever learned. And I would not have ever chosen to learn them that way. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God knows what needs to be strengthened in your life. He knows what needs to be built up in your life. He knows what experiences you need in your life, be they good, be they circumstantially difficult or hard, whether they're absolutely in in some form of abundance or whether they are in your deepest need. God knows what needs to be done with you. And he will supply all those things. Whatever you need, He's absolutely desiring to give you. And He will. You see, we have to learn those things. They don't come easy. They're hard-fought battles, aren't they? Amen? You know, because sometimes it's cancer. Sometimes it's heart disease. Sometimes it's a loss of a job. Sometimes it's great abundance. We learn some things we wouldn't learn without that great abundance in our lives. You know, when you've had lack and then you get great abundance, you learn a different set of priorities in your life. You see, God knows what we need. And so there are two keys here. They're very simple. There are things that you can clearly see. And one is God's wonderful providential care. As God sees who we are as human beings, in providence comes from two Latin words. That word that we use, but those two Latin words, pro, meaning before, and video, which is video. In other words, he previews the video of all time. So in God's providential care, it's as if he's seen the who's, the what's, the when's, the where's, the why's, the how's. He knows you by name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows your family. He knows your children. He knows everything about everyone who's ever lived. And in that sense, in his providential care, he knows when to make it rain on the just And when to make it rain on the unjust. And when to withhold the rain from the just. And and what to do in every circumstance and in every situation so that he can accomplish his goodwill and his pleasure in you, in me, in us, in all of humankind throughout all of history. You see, God's providential care is perfect. And it's balanced in one characteristic that we all know he is is the chief defining characteristic. That's his love. God's sole motivation for everything is love. When he chastises, he does so in love. Even when he judges, he does in love. When he pours out his wrath in the last days, he's going to do that in love. Everything he does, he does in love. So when he allows you to lay on a hospital floor, it's in love and it's to help you learn something that you wouldn't otherwise learn. He knows what to do. He's being providential in his care for us. Very often we would try and escape it. And the chief, if you want to just do a study on this, you can simply read chapter 37 to chapter 50 in the book of Genesis. It's a story. It's a familiar one to most of you. It's a story of the, of the life of Joseph. Joseph. You talk about a life story that you look at and go, man, that's unfair, and that's unfair, and that's unfair. The dude's born. He's got some gifts. Dad looks at him and says, look, I'm giving you a coat of many colors, and their brothers hate him for it, right? And so what do they do? First, they throw him in a hole. Then they sell him to camel traders. Then he goes down to Egypt, where they're not exactly friends of the Egyptians. But praise God, we know the end of the story, don't we? What happens? From getting disrespected, from ending up getting abused by his own family—you you talk about abused by your family—they sold him into slavery. That's worse than death. It'd been better if they had killed him. And so, what happens at the end? <laughs> hey, brothers, remember he feigned that he couldn't speak Hebrew, and they're all babbling in Hebrew. And he comes out and he speaks to him finally in Hebrew, and then. After that, you see this. Look, God sent me here before you to preserve your lives. I got here before you got here so that I could be here to make sure you don't die. And then he speaks you talk about speaking to the heart of your kin. He says, Look, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That's the providence of God. Amen. It looks terrible. But God does the Romans 8, 28 thing with it, right? All things work together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And so He went from getting sold into slavery to, hey, let me bless you. That's a Jesus thing. That's the key to contentment when you realize, (laughs) yeah, amen. That's the key to contentment. Okay, I, I don't know how this works out, but I know who's working it out, amen. I don't know what you're going to do with it, but I know when you get done with it, it's going to be good. That's God. And the second thing is His unfailing power to do whatever He wants. And so many Christians have a small God, and they pray small things because they want to worship a small God. You have an all-powerful God who dwells in the heavens, whose arm is not short so that He cannot save, but he's able to do unto the uttermost. And you always, well, you know, okay, maybe he can do that. You ever listen to Christians talk about God that way? Well, I don't know if Lord can do that. You know what I'm saying? You've heard it. Maybe you've done it yourself. It's like, well, you know, maybe God, if he kind of sort of has a good day. It's like we talk about God like he's one of our friends in, in the sense that our friends are completely without any ability to accomplish anything. God's not that way. He can do anything. He not only has the power, the power, but He has the authority to do it. In Him lies the power that flung the galaxies into space. He, he can probably handle your finances. I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong. No, I'm not wrong. I'm right. He has unfailing power. And that's why when Paul says, look, I've learned how to be abased. I've learned how to have not what I think I should have. That's another way to look at it. I've learned that when God allows that into my life, there's a purpose behind it. He's not doing it because he hates my guts. A lot of Christians get told that if God doesn't give you everything you ask for, that somehow he doesn't like you or you don't have enough faith. That is the washing of the proverbial hog. Amen? You know what I'm saying. Uh, That's like so not true, because sometimes, because God loves you, He withholds things from us, and He's moving in your life to put you where you need to be, because if He left it up to you, you'd be someplace you're not supposed to be, because you're not all that good at, you know, when you ask other people, can you tell me what God has for my life? Never ask that question. You don't know what you need for your life. How is somebody else going to know that? Sometimes we're, we're like so dense. We're like, okay, well, you know, maybe God can help me out with this one. There's no maybe about it. He absolutely can. But give him the opportunity to give you what you need, not what you want. There are a lot of things you want that you shouldn't have. Some of you, you know, you've walked with the Lord for a while. You know exactly what I'm saying. You've been praying, oh, Lord, give me that, you know, that husband or that wife. And it's like you live long enough to go, wow, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Let God be God, amen? You see, because godly contentment is really a hidden resource. It isn't something you can get out of a book. It's not like those old... Ticket books we had. Remember at Disneyland, you used to get, you'd have the E tickets and the D tickets and the C ticket. You'd go through them and you you always ended up with like all of the A tickets left and none of the E tickets. You see, we like it like that. It's like, okay, I can go on this many of these rides. We like to know in advance. God doesn't do that for us. He says, you just get into the park and let me run things. We don't like that. We want to be able to say, look, I have an E ticket. I can go on that ride. Not going to work that way. God's going to allow things into your life that you're not going to understand. God's going to allow things into your life that you're not going to like. You're going to look at it and go, God hates me. No, he not only doesn't hate you, he loves you, and that's why he's allowed those things. You see, whether it's a redwood in the coast redwoods or sequoias or the Colorado River, hidden resources are necessary for almost all life. Nobody knows that that little tiny creek that is the beginning of the Colorado River that's outside of Estes Park, Colorado, no, nobody actually knows that that little creek is actually the headwaters of the Colorado. You see, by the time it gets down to where it enters the ocean, it's traveled for, say, 1,800 miles and it's collected a lot of water along the way. That's your life. It starts here in this place. You give your life to Christ and it collects all kinds of things and God knows exactly what to dump into the tributary of your life. He knows how much water needs to go into it to make you, you. And he doesn't make mistakes. That's why he says, I can through Christ do all things. It doesn't say in me. Paul's sufficiency was in Christ. That's God and me. God in me, that makes me uh, a power-filled person. Someone who has what he needs, what you need, what she needs. is found by Christ in you, that hope of glory. You you see, that's where we need to hang our hat. You see, that's why John said there in John 15, Jesus' words are recorded there, Without me, you can do nothing. That's why both things are true. You see, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but without him you can't do a thing. Because you were created to be dependent upon God. And if you try and do it your way, oh, you'll have some successes, you'll also have some failures, but you'll be discontent. If you do it his way, then whatever he brings, you'll have contentedness whether it's over here with much or over here with little. Because you're trusting him. Christ in us. He's the vine. We're the branches. We draw from Him. Paul closes with zero doubt about all these things. My God shall supply. Not my God might supply. Not my God kind of, sort of, can supply. You know, He supplies for some people, but not necessarily, none of that. My God shall provide. That's why in the Old Testament He was known as Jehovah Jireh. He's Jehovah, He's still Jehovah-Jireh. You think you've ever done anything in your life? You're just simply mistaken. God's done everything that you've ever done. It's been Him. He's responsible for the whole universe. You have your little part that you play in the plans that God has for your life. But it's God who works those things together. It's Him working in you. You see, I have need... God has supply. That's a great match, isn't it? I have need. God has supply. So when his supply meets my need, I can go, glory. When I try and meet my own need, I usually go, ouch. I want God to do that in my life, in our lives as a church. We want to step back away from things and go, God met that need. It wasn't just a great plan. It wasn't just brilliant, you know, administrative capabilities. It was that God met the need. And that gives us a grateful heart. You can just walk around going, man, God's got it. I don't know how he's going to do it. God's got it. And when you do that, when you're trusting him instead of you, all the pressure comes off of you. Because you're not wandering around trying to accomplish something that you can't accomplish. Look, as much as some of us think that we can control the universe, not happening. As much as some of us think that we can control our own lives. I would guesstimate, if I were to ask each of you personally, you would all say, look, I've had areas in my life where I thought I was going to point A, and I ended up at point X. I believe this is where I was going to go, but I'm clear over here, and I don't even know how it happened. From God's perspective, he's been working in you his eternal weight of glory. And he's allowed those things in your life that you wouldn't have chosen. And he's working you to an end, and that end is glorious. Amen? And so leave it with him. Let him be all you need. Let him be your sufficiency that you'd be able to say, look, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And at the same time recognize that it's he that's going to supply that need. Amen? Would you pray with me? Let's stand as we pray. I want to give an opportunity. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, look, I I don't even know where to start, Pastor Job. I don't even know who this Jesus is. And I'm going to ask all who are believers right now, if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes and I'm just going to ask you a simple question if you're here today and you don't know this Christ who is all sufficient we want to give you the opportunity to do that so I'm just going to ask you to do a simple thing just slip your hand up where you're standing right now nobody's watching nobody's looking around I'm going to just kind of keep my eyes open to see if I can see any hands and we want to give you the opportunity to invite I see that hand in the back I'm going to give you that opportunity to invite Christ into your heart today. I see these hands. There's hands all over the sanctuary. All over the sanctuary, people are asking for that glorious supply of Christ. A couple more seconds. Slip your hand up. And now comes the wonderful part. You can put your hands down. You know who you are. I'm going to invite you to just simply pray along with me. You who are believers, if you could just pray a low under your breath with us. We're going to have you pray that prayer to invite Christ into your heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. My life's a mess and I need you to fix it. I want to ask you, Jesus, into my life right now. ask that you forgive my sin. You'd cleanse me. ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. ask that you would write my name in your Lamb's Book of Life. Thank you for that salvation. It's a free gift. I ask you now to help me walk all of the days of my life with you ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to the family of God.